Well, good morning. Hey, it is, uh, it is great to see you and to be with you this morning as uh, we gather together for the family long weekend. Uh, if I haven't had the privilege of or opportunity of, of meeting you yet, uh, my name is John, and I have the great privilege of being on the pastoral team here at Central, and this morning excited to be here as we open and study God's Word. Uh, hey, as, as we begin our time together this morning... I want to start by asking you a, a simple question, and the question is this. Uh, has there ever been a time in your life when you tried building something uh, on your own only for it to fail miserably and for you to be left exhausted and full of anxiety at the end of the day? Now, listen, I, I'm sure that all of us have some sort of story that we can share or some embarrassing moment. And so I thought as we jump into our morning where, where my sermon is called Build This House, I, I thought it'd be appropriate for me to share one of my many failures in building things. So the, uh, the year was 2007, and, uh, and Heather and I had been married for, uh, for two years uh, when circumstances led us to move in uh, with my in-laws. Now, now, if you're a young married couple here, um, this is probably one of the best advices that I could give you. Um, it's great to move in with your in-laws, right? Yeah. It's awesome. So good. Um, you see, I was, I was a young intern at a church, and, and I spent two and a half years basically working in an unpaid internship, and it required for us to live in the basement of Heather's childhood home. And so for the first year, we shared everything from the kitchen to the laundry room to the TV area. It was the, the greatest time ever, okay? Now, I have to say that, that uh, this was a major lesson in humility for me uh, because after living on our own for two years, we became so dependent on the graciousness of my in-laws. Well, one day, my mother-in-law asked if I could build some shelves for her in their spare bedroom downstairs. Now, if you know me, building is not one of those particular skills that I have. Uh, even though growing up, my dad, bless his heart, uh, really tried everything in his ability to make sure that he taught us about proper building things. Uh, but I didn't care or pay attention because who pays attention to their father when they're teaching essential life skills, right? Um, and so here I am as a grown man, and I'm trying to impress my in-laws. I have no skill and yet somehow I felt compelled to impress them. And so I stupidly said, oh, that should be the easiest thing to do in the whole wide world. And as soon as those words came out of my mouth, I'm like, no, like take it back. I wanted to go back in because I'm setting myself up for major failure here, okay? But again, because I'm super slow and prideful, um, I, I decided to go ahead with the project. And so I drew up plans. I assured her that if anyone could tackle this small minor renovation, it would be her favorite son-in-law. Now, I'm her only son-in-law, so I don't have much luck. And, and so, um, so, so I had no clue what I was doing. And, and to top it off, I didn't even own a tool. And so that day, I went to Home Depot. I bought a drill, some, some saw, uh, saw, some screws, two-by-fours, plywood. And the plan was going to be simple. I would have three shelves, and I would space them evenly apart, and it would be anchored to the wall. And as I started uh, working in this project, my father-in-law uh, walks down the stairs, and he says, Hey, John, do you need a hand? Because I'd love to help. Now, I know what that's code for, and it's this. I don't think you know what you're doing. 
all right? And so I'm going to step in. And, and, and so what did, I, what, did I, what did I say to my father-in-law? I said, Tom, you know what? I got this. You don't need to worry. You go upstairs, watch sports, and if I need you, I'll let you know. And so I dismissed him because I was the man. And he went upstairs, and I started building this thing. You see, I was on the personal mission that I was going to make my in-laws so proud of me. And, and, and because I realized I was the freeloading son-in-law, okay? So I started measuring and cutting, and pretty soon into the project, I realized just how over top of the head, like, like I'm so out of it. And so a few hours into this really simple project, I am left like frustrated and upset. I've assembled this thing a few times. My blood's boiling, and, and I just want to be done with this stupid project, and so two shelves are up, and I'm screwing in the last shelf when all of a sudden something disastrous happens. It detaches from the wall. And, it, and it just in slow-mo, I try catching it, and the next thing you know, I'm on the ground, okay? You see, in my design and my execution of my project, I had missed one of the most simple things that my dad probably tried teaching me as a kid, and it's this, is when you're mounting something to the wall, don't just screw it into drywall. Okay, screw it into the two by fours because then it won't fall on you. And so what happened is this thing rips from the wall and I'm on the bottom side of it and I'm lying there in agony wondering how am I going to fix this situation? So what do you do when you're a prideful person? What do you do when you find yourself in a situation out of control? Well, you either admit that you need help or you choose to find a way out of it on your own. And so as I lay there, I started to consider what are my options? Option number one, I call out for help and I get my father-in-law to help me. That's going to be like a blow to my ego. Option two, I wait for my wife to come home and then she can save my bacon. Or option three, I die under this thing and no one will ever bug me about, about my failure. And so I, what did I do? I chose, I chose to lie there and, and, and die a slow, painful death because admitting defeat and being filled with shame it's not something I wanted to do. Well, after a few minutes of struggling on the ground and basically giving up, I heard footsteps coming down the stairs, and all I could think of is, how do I explain this to my wife? Well, to my, to my surprise, it wasn't my wife. It was my father-in-law who had heard the commotion, had heard the bang, had heard me struggle in agony, and as he walked into the room, he leaned over, he looked into my face, and he said with just the biggest smile that he could, he said, so, John... Do you need my help now? <laughs> you see, what I learned that day, folks, is that I'm no good at building things on my own. It doesn't matter if it's physical. It doesn't matter if it's something like a home or a family or a ministry. It doesn't matter if I have the right tools for the job or a perfect plan in my mind. At the end of the day, what I need in my life is a builder who can help me and lead me because I'm incapable of doing that on my own. Because I know me, and I know my heart, and I know how hard it is to ask for help and, and, and take it when it's offered. Because I'm the kind of guy who, who would rather labor in vain than admit that I'm needing to be dependent on someone else. Well, this morning, it, it's the family long weekend. And one of the things that we wanted to do as a church is, is take a little break from our regular sermon series and, and to spend some time encouraging and equipping and reminding you as our family to continue to follow God's instructions in regards to raising your family and growing your homes. 
And, and in the process, what we want to do is we want to encourage you as the church to grow in a deep dependence for Jesus. Because we are all desperately in need of a Savior. And even as we raise our, our families and grow our homes, the truth is, is we need Jesus. And so this morning, if you have a Bible, I want you to open to Psalms 127, and let's read God's Word together. If you don't have a Bible, come talk to us afterwards. We'd love to get you one, uh, or you can just follow on the screen. But let's read this together. Psalms 127, verse 1 to 5, says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but these words are the words that, that I need to hear, that encourage me uh, this morning, because I find that sometimes it's easy to, to you know, and, and I'm a pastor, and I, I find that it's easy sometimes to forget God's instruction in my life, to forget the role that he plays in my life, and, 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 and the importance of actually being dependent on him in the various aspects of my life and my family and my ministry. Well, Psalms 127 is a, is a really important mess, or passage to, um, to each one of us, and it's also a really important passage to the nation of Israel as it was their reminder that God is both the builder and the protector of everything sacred. From our work to our families, God is the builder. Now, what's really important to know about this passage is that, that this passage was either written by, by King David as a reminder and encouragement to his son Solomon that God is the builder of all things. Uh, others think that it was actually written by Solomon himself. Now, I, I like to think that it was written by David as a warning to his son, because if you know your Bible at all and you know the story of Solomon, you know that King Solomon ended up ignoring these words of instruction. And, and eventually everything that he built, both physic physically, uh, literally, figuratively, became broken. His kingdom became a ruin. His family became broken. His marriage actually led him to walk away from the Lord. You see, somewhere along the line, Solomon forgot the truth that God is the builder and the watcher of all things, not Solomon. Psalms 127 is also an important passage for the nation of Israel because it's one of the Psalms of Ascent. You see, what would happen in the, the, the life of, of the, the Israelites is that every so often there would be a Jewish festival. And because Jerusalem is situated on a high hill, those who traveled to the city would have to climb stairs. And as they climbed stairs, they would sing the Psalms of Ascent. And Psalms 127 is one of those to, to remember and to celebrate God. You see, one of the reasons why this became so important for the nation of Israel is that this psalm addressed three of the, um, the most important human concerns that we all have. And I want you to think about that for a second. What, what is something that, that all people give themselves to? Well, we give ourselves to our accomplishments, we give ourselves to security, and we give ourselves to our families. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? Right? 
Well, so the reason why the, the psalm became important is that it forced the Israelites to, to examine these areas of their lives and to recognize who it is that has control over every aspect of their lives. This psalm was used as a way to remember the really important things about life, faith, and God and was used to help establish healthy, godly homes whose priorities were focused on God first. You see, at the heart of this passage is this the reminder to be reliant and to put our trust in God and everything because that's what God has instructed us as his people to do. He wants to be the central focus of our lives as we work, as we raise our families and grow in our marriages and communities. And one of the things that we have to remember in, in our current culture where, where power and money and having the biggest kingdom is the priority is that just as Solomon lost his focus, that it's easy for us to do the same to become so distracted by even some of the good things that our culture says is important. And, and what ultimately happens is we lose focus of, of what's important and unintentionally we put God in the backseat of our lives. And so what I hope to do this morning is simply encourage you and remind you as the church to do three things that will help you keep your life and your priorities in check with God. The first thing that I want to do is I want to, I want, I want to uh, remind you who God is because when we remember who he is, we will be reminded of who we are. Now, listen to how our passage starts off this morning. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves this morning is who's ultimately building your house? Who's the one who's in charge of your life? Are you relying on God or, or are you trying to build it and laboring yourself? You see, I think one of the, the, the big problems that, that a lot of us face is that far too often we rely on ourselves instead of God. And one of the best ways in, in which we can determine our priorities and determine who exactly is in charge of our lives is simply by stepping back and, and evaluating our lives. So how many of you this morning are, are feeling tired and feel like you're laboring in vain? How many of you this last week felt the stress of life creeping in and robbing you of joy? How many of you are paralyzed and filled with anxiousness? and worry about everyday life. You see, if that resonates with you at all, I want to remind you something. You're not the builder. You never have been. You never will be. And, and regardless of, of what you do, it will never be enough. You see, when the Bible talks about building in vain, it means building to no end, to have no success or results. And so as we read our passage this morning, there is a truth that we need to remember that God is the primary builder of our lives and of our families and of our work and of our ministries. We, we have to remember that there is one before us who is the master builder. And as the master builder, it is, it is God's responsibility to build the house and for him to instruct us what to do. And our job as, as, as co-builders is to submit to the builder and build as he instructs because there is no other way. Listen, as I've learned more and more about myself, 
One of the things that I I have to do is I have to reevaluate my role as a husband, as a dad, as a pastor, as, as a neighbor, because I can't begin to tell you how many times stuff's been going on in my life and I just want to take control of it. And at the end of the day, I have, I have had times where I have felt more tired than I ever have because I have built and watched in vain. It doesn't matter if it's trying to, to disfuse an argument with my wife or tackle the struggles of raising kids. It's easy to work hard and to feel like you've accomplished nothing. And that's what the author of Psalms 127 is trying to get at, that unless God builds, then all of your efforts lead to no success. You will keep working to no end or resolution. And and honestly, that just sounds terrible. And so what our text is reminding us is that we we, we have to view God differently. We, We must seek God's guidance for our lives because he is God and we are not. And so what I want to do is I want to remind you this morning of five truths of who God is, because unless we hang on to these truths, it will be easy for us to fall back into a place of self-centeredness where we elevate ourselves over God. And so the first truth is that God is the creator, Colossians 1 verse 16 says, For by him all things were created both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And this is a truth that we need to remember and hang on to in our struggle of longing to be the builder, because this is one of the, the most foundational truths of who God is. A creator is someone who can make things new. Think about it for a second. God took nothing and formed it into everything good. And if God can create everything good from nothing, he can take the mess of our lives, the messes of our families, the messes of our works, the messes of the church, and, and he can make something beautiful out of it because that's what a creator does. Amen? Amen? And so when, when was the last time in, in whatever situation you found yourself in that you asked God to create something new in your life and in your situation and in your families? The second truth is, is this, is, and our, our passage alludes to this, that God, <coughs> excuse me, God is a builder. Hebrews 3 verse 4 says, For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Now, some of you here actually build houses for a living, bless you, and, and you can tell us that building isn't as simple as, as slapping some two-by-fours together and being done. Rather, a builder's job is to be meticulous. Builders have a, a blueprint in which they're working from, and the role of the builder is to ensure that the house is built right from the pouring of the foundation to the final details of the house. You see, the role of the builder isn't to see the job get half done, but rather to see it to completion. And so if if God is the builder of all things, he will see you through to completion. He won't leave a mess for you to deal with by yourself. And, And so when was the last time you asked God to build something new in your life? God is the builder. Turn to him. Thirdly, not only is God a creator and a builder, but God is the sustainer. 
Colossians 1 verse 17 says, God is before all things and in him all things are held together. And the truth is, is that God will give you what you need today. Turn to him. Charles Stanley said this. He said, oftentimes God demonstrates his faithfulness in adversity by providing for us what we need to survive. He doesn't always change our painful circumstances, but he sustains us through them. Do you know that God is a sustaining God? See, for the last two years, I've been walking through a family through a very, very difficult season in their life and their family. And one of my favorite parts of this whole painful process was hearing the mom say this, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have God. I don't know if I'd do what I, if I didn't have God. Yes, I had others and I had my family around me, but there was times when I felt like I had no one else that I could talk to. I had no, I, I, I had no one to, to face my fears to, but I knew that I could constantly turn to God and that he would help me. When, when I would wake up in the middle of the night... I knew that this was an opportunity to be sustained by him as I turned to him in prayer. And she said, John, it hasn't always been easy, but God has been there. And I wonder what would happen in our circumstances and our lives as we we co-build with God. What would happen if we opened our hearts and, and, and allowed God to sustain us? But part of that is to actually humble ourselves. Fourth, God is a great deliverer. Psalms 32 verse 7 says, You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble and you surround me with shouts of deliverance. You see, God is never blind to your tears. God is never deaf to your prayers and he's never silent in your pain. He he sees, he hears, and he delivers. Listen, some of us are, are, are in the midst of facing impossible situations. And I want to ask you is, what is God's promise to you in, in the struggles of life? Well, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, who's with you? He's with you. His, his rod and his staff, they comfort you, right? He, he, his promise is to go through it with you and to lead you to the other side. You see, God delivers us from all of our fears, our troubles, our waging wars, and and our sins. And whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Lastly, God is a good father. Listen, raising a family isn't an easy task, and I want to remind you to never forget that the fact that, that God himself is also a father, so he gets it. He grieves when his kids start walking sideways or when they're making bad choices. And as a father, he is always approachable. He always loves you. He never forsakes you or leaves you because that's not what a good father does. Hebrews 4 verse 16 tells us that we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. That's what a father does. He helps in times of need but we have to turn to him. Do you get this? Like every single one of these things requires us to lower ourselves and to view God in a very high place because he is God and we are not. Listen, our our perspectives of our situations change when we have this robust understanding of who God is. And if you look through the Bible, I think there's 170 different attributes and names of God. We could go on and on about how God is God and we are not. But what's required of us is to view him differently. 
We need to humble ourselves and think differently about who we are because we are not the main builder. We are his creation, not the creator. We are the co-builders, not the master builder. We can't sustain ourselves, only God can. We can't rescue ourselves, only God can. We're not the father of all things, God is. And, and I wonder if part of our tension and part of the struggle that we feel as we build and watch in vain is that it actually stems from elevating our role above God's. You see, the simple fact is that we were never, never, I don't see it anywhere in Scripture where we were meant to do things by ourselves. We were never meant to build our families on our own. Godly parenting requires far more than tips and techniques. It begins with knowing God because unless God is in it and honored by it, the whole structure and building will sooner or later fall in helpless ruin. It'll fall in helpless ruin. And yes, we have a part to play in the building and the watching. And much can be done by man, but without the Lord, we have accomplished absolutely nothing. And our wakefulness has has not warded off evil. And so what that means is if you're trying to labor and watch over your family on your own strength, it will fail you eventually. It will leave you more exhausted than where you are right now. And and so where does that lead us? It actually leads for us to be more dependent. And that's our our second thing this morning. Our our text is reminding us that we have to kill our self-reliance and we need to grow in our dependence on God. You see, our verse continues and it says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, I don't know about you, but but toiling sounds like an exhausting activity, okay? So much so that this is what Solomon himself wrote uh, about toiling. He said, so I hated life because the work that is done underneath the sun was grievous to me. All of it meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for underneath the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And I I wonder, is, is this our own experience in building too, that we find ourselves in places of hatred and exhaustion and being done? And I, I don't want you to hear that, that laboring hard to provide for your families is, is something that you shouldn't do, right? Because that's actually contrary to Scripture. All throughout Scripture, it says to work hard, and it is a virtue found all throughout the Bible. But, but what this passage is telling us is that when we rise early and we uh, stay up late and we don't have God at the center of our lives and your, and your motives, that you will find yourself in a, in a place of anxious toil, a great illustration of this is actually in Genesis 11, where, where some people wanted to build a big tower. And they said, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And so they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens and so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the whole earth. And what happened is that in their building of the towers to the heaven, they built it, but God didn't allow them to finish it. Their their work was in vain. Listen, one of the things that we have to learn in our anxious toil of raising our families is that we cannot depend on ourselves. 
But rather, we have to kill our self-reliance and grow in God-dependence because He's the only one who gives us the rest and the peace that we long for in our lives and our family. And, And the sobering reality is that regardless of what you think about yourself or the control that you want to hang on to in the midst of your building, that you are not the answer. You're not the solution. You're not the fixer of your problems. You're not the one in control. And, and there's this, this, again, this constant battle of, of, of wanting to have control and handing it over to God. And what our text is saying is that you can build all you want. You, you can watch over your homes until, until the cows go home or the sun rises. But on your own strength, you will eventually crumble underneath the weight of effort. You will become filled with anxiety and worry because nothing good comes from self-reliance. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't build and you shouldn't watch over your lives because our text is teaching us that we're actually partnering alongside God and we have responsibility, but he is the one who's in control. And so when struggles come and when difficulties happen and and when there's good times and bad times in our families and our homes, our answer isn't to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders and fix it on our own strength, but rather to humbly fall before God and to be dependent on him. To be dependent on God is to choose to continually start your day with full reliance on your Savior because your own effort, strength, and wisdom is radically insufficient for your lives. One of the biggest struggles that you will face in your life is that the maintenance of a deep sense of dependence on God is a very difficult yet important aspect of your faith. And and what our passage is teaching us is that it's vain to rise up early and and to go late to rest. And and when the Bible uses the word vain, it's meaning to no end, to work towards no success. It is empty, worthless, having no substance. It has no value or importance. To work in vain means that you will always be working to no end. And I can't tell you how many times I've had to learn this lesson I've worked to the point of exhaustion on my own strength. I've tried to, to fix my kids, and, and all of it's vain because I just I simply neglected to bring my needs before God and to remember who I am dependent in. I, I have a hard time surrendering my problems to God because I'm reliant on myself. But listen to these words, Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways... Acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 5, 7, man, there's a lot of verses here, right? Cast all of your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. You see, God gives to his beloved sleep. He gives them the rest and the peace that they need. He gives us what we need in the moments of struggle. And and what we're simply instructed to do is run to him. Be dependent on him. Grow in him. Live for him. Rely on him. And so what I want to do is I want to just share some simple ways in which you can grow in dependence on God because if you don't, it's all in vain. To be dependent on God means to be centered on the gospel. You see, what happens when you place your focus on the gospel is you take all of the focus off of yourself. 
And one of the best ways to kill self-reliance or, or dependence on ourselves is to stop thinking about ourselves. To center on the gospel requires you to be filled with humility as you are reminded that you are a wretched sinner. You're a sinner. And when we center on the gospel, it refocuses our priorities, our hearts. It allows us to press forward in faith. To be gospel-centered starts with the realization that the source of everything that we are is God. And all that we need is found in him and in his son, Jesus, and what he's done for us on the cross. Jesus came to give us life and life abundant. And the, the goal of a gospel-focused life is to ensure that Jesus gets the glory, not you. Secondly, to be dependent on God means to be rooted in the Bible. And I know that some of these things are like, hey, I've heard this before, but how many of us actually are rooted in the Bible? Because God's words are the only words that offer life and peace and remind us who he is. 1 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all of Scripture is inspired by God. It is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. And I wonder in our anxious toil, what would happen if, if our, the, one of the first places that we turn to was to open the Word of God? instead of listening to the voices in our head or the voices of the world. Thirdly, to be dependent on God means to be gathered in community because the reality is, is that we were never meant to be alone. We weren't meant to do life on our own and, and God gave us the church. And I think what happens in regards to our difficulties and our struggles is that sometimes we feel deep shame. And it's because of our shame and our, our, our helplessness that we place ourselves on a desolate island. And in the process, we distance ourselves from God, distance ourselves from community, and, 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 and distance from those who can speak godly words of encouragement and advice in our lives. And I think that's one of the reasons why you need to be plugged into a life group. Because it's crucial that we have people who keep us accountable and, and help us be reliant on God. To be dependent on God means to be people of prayer. Listen, one of the most important things that we can do in our lives and our families is to fall on our knees and to pray. Because what happens when we pray and we fall on our knees is that it leads to a humble confession of our dependence on God. And so the more that we pray and the more that we lay our pride aside, it forces us to, to come before God and be utterly dependent on Him and our circumstances. Man, this year, I have, I have done far more praying than any other season in my life because I realize how inadequate I am to build something that lasts. To be dependent on God requires us to be people who worship, not just on Sunday mornings. You see, when you worship Jesus, you're not just singing a song, but rather your worship is meant to magnify the greatness of God. And I wonder how our homes and our families and, and our workplaces would change if instead of drowning out the distractions of life with countless hours of TV and Netflix, that we actually flood our homes with songs of worship. You see, worship involves surrendering our lives to Him, putting our focus on God. Worship is about celebrating who He is and what He has done for us. And that's why it's so important that we as a church gather to worship together. Cecily already, already read Psalms 100, verse 1 to 5. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs and know that the Lord is God. 
Uh, seventh, to be dependent on God requires us to confess our sins often. L- listen, there is something so powerful that then, uh, when, when, we, um, when we confess our sins, when we confess our shortcomings and our inadequacies, you see, confession reminds us that we're sinners. And it shows us more clearly that we have a need for grace and mercy that can only come from God. And the best way to grow in dependence of God is to experience his grace and forgiveness in our lives and to go back to that often. Because when we confess, we're faced with a sobering reminder of who God is and who we are. To be dependent on God requires us to practice spiritual disciplines. And the reason why spiritual disciplines like prayer and meditation and fasting and service are so crucial for our lives is they allow uh, us to, to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us and draw closer to us. And and when we practice spiritual disciplines, we actually take the focus off of ourselves and we continue to grow in dependence for God. Next, to to be dependent on God requires us to be people who practice Sabbath rest. Listen, one of the, the, the big things that the Bible teaches is that we are people who need rest. And our passage tells us today that God gives sleep and rest to his people. And one of the ways that he does that is by commanding us to Sabbath. I love what A.W. Tozer said when he wrote, you can't truly rest until every area in your life rests in God. That means bringing everything before him. We trust in confidence that God is who he says he is and that he is going to do what he promises. You see, Sabbath rest is more than just putting your feet up on a Sunday afternoon and turning the TV on, but resting in the one who is perfect. And that is a great way to grow in dependence. Lastly, one other thing is seek to be like Jesus. 1 John 2, 6 says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so one of the ways that we grow in dependence is denying ourselves, picking up our crosses, and following Jesus. He must increase and we must decrease. Listen, one of the greatest truths found in our passage this morning is that the Lord is mainly to be rested in because he's the only one who gives us the rest and, and, and peace in the midst of chaos. And I think one of the problems that we face is instead of turning to God and asking for, our situation, asking for help in our situations is that we just labor harder. We try fixing the issues ourselves and we just lead to anxious toil. We have to turn to God. We, we have to be dependent on him. We can't escape anymore by filling our lives with meaningless things. We have to be dependent on God because it is so necessary for our lives. A few years ago, my, my wife and I, we went through the process of adoption, and, and we were asked to consider adopting a sibling group of, of four kids underneath the age of seven. Now, now, if you want to talk about a stressful season of life where I had no control, it would have been that moment. It led to early mornings and sleepless nights. And, and, and I remember right before we adopted our kids, one night we, we went to go visit some of our closest friends at the church. And we said, can you pray for us? Can you, can you ask God for wisdom for us? Because we don't know what we should do. And I remember praying on our knees in, in one of our friends' living rooms. And, and after prayer, I asked them, so what do you think? Do you think we can do this? Do you think we can do this? And they sat quietly looking at us and they said, John and Heather, if anyone can do this, God can. 
Let me tell you that that word just struck me right in the heart. The only way for us to have peace in the midst of this, this crazy season of life was, was to allow God to build our house. Listen, there's been plenty of times in the last six years where I have forgotten about that, where I have, I have turned to myself instead of God. And, and I am painfully convicted that, that that was wrong. It has led to like, anger and frustration and, and tiredness. And, and, and if, if I want peace in my life, if I long for rest, if I long for purpose, it doesn't come by myself. It comes with dependence on God. Lastly, I want to remind you that everything is a gift from God. Listen to how our, our passage ends. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of a womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in his gate. Listen, one of the hardest things to do when you're in the midst of life and, and you're in seasons of difficulty is, is actually remembering that kids are a gift from God. It may not always feel that way, but it's the truth. And I can tell you firsthand that there have been many times, again, where I've been at my wit's end wanting to rip out my hair, and in those moments of anxiousness, two things happen. One is my parents kind of laugh at me because they're like, you got it fourfold. You're just giving it back, right? And, and, um, and secondly, I just remember how sinful I am, that I sometimes forget that kids are a gift. And, and I have to repent of that. And, and so I want, to, I want you to listen to what our text says. First, it says that sons are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of, uh, of the womb a reward. You see, kids are one of the, the many ways in which God expresses his love for us. Children are to be highly valued. They are not a burden. Are they a lot of work? Absolutely. Do they lead to premature balding and gray hair? Eldon? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, do they bring the worst out of us and leave us convicted that our hearts need to change because it's sinful? Absolutely. And that's because God actually designed it that way as the builder. You see, children are an expression of God's goodness on our lives, and God uses them in a huge way to sanctify us, to refine us, to change us in ways that we've never anticipated. He's given us children to depend on Him and not on our own strength. Listen, if, if, if you parent and raise your family on your own, you're going to learn more about yourself than ever before. And I, I love what one author wrote when they wrote this. They said, you will see things in your heart that you haven't wanted to see. You will come face to face with sins that you, you didn't know were buried deep inside. Sins like impatience, selfishness, irritability, discontent. And while uncomfortable and sometimes downright painful, the sanctifying work of parenthood has become necessary and it's good. Why? Because God is a good builder. Secondly, we're told that children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. And I want you to imagine a picture of a father standing there as a warrior in battle. And, and it says that, that his kids are like arrows. You see, arrows are indispensable for a warrior to succeed in defeating an enemy. And so are children invaluable to parents in fighting against the enemy of God's kingdom. You see, the reason why having godly homes matters is because as we raise our children to love God and to love people, God is going to use them to advance his kingdom and to make his name known so that every knee would bow. 
And man, as a dad and as a pastor and as a believer, I just want to say how cool is it that God is going to use my kids and your kids and the hundreds of kids that that are at Central to advance and to grow his kingdom. That should make us as, as parents and as the church so extremely proud because God is going to use them as the next generation of the church. But it also is the conviction that we need to do more to prepare our kids and our homes for the battle of faith. Lastly, we're reminded, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Listen, I, I feel blessed to have kids in my life, but, and that's because of God's grace on my life, but, but we didn't always have children. We actually went nine years without kids, and I know that there is a pain when, when our quiver, quivers aren't full of kids. And what I also know is that some of you here feel that same pain. Some of you sit here and you're filled with anxiousness because you're unable to have children. And I want you to know that God sees you in your pain, that the church loves you, and that our hearts break for you. But what we also want to remind you is to be dependent on Jesus to cry out to him, to ask as the builder to build your homes the way he wants. And that may mean that you don't have kids. And that may mean that God is, is going to call you to things like fostering and adopting kids or, or simply to love each kid that comes into your lives so that you can share about the hope of Jesus. You see, one of the ways that God has built our homes is through the local church. And one of the things I want to remind you is whether you're young or you're old, whether you have kids or you don't, or maybe your kids have moved on out of your homes, but that doesn't mean that you don't play a significant radical part in the lives of young people in the church. An amazing thing is that that at Central, our quiver, the basket in which our arrows are, is full of children. And I know that that seems like a shameful plug, but I'm going to take it, right? I, I, I want to ask you to be involved in things like kids' ministry and youth ministry because those ministries matter to kids. And they need people who have an authentic faith to walk with them and mentor them and love them in their journey of growing dependent on Jesus. Listen, as we close and we invite the worship team up, I, I want to remind you that God is sovereign in your lives. He is sovereign in all the details. God is the builder. And God does what is best for you, even when you can't see it. You see, God's timing is infinitely better than ours. The hard stuff that we go through and the suffering and the struggles that that we walk through in life transform our character and it puts our hope and our dependence back on Jesus. And so I want to just end our time by asking you the question that I asked at the beginning. Has there ever been a time in your life when you tried building something on your own only for it to fail miserably or to be left exhausted and full of anxiety at the end of the day? Listen, church, continue to build godly homes as you grow in dependence of him, as you think less about yourself. Grow in Christ because it will transform your life, it will transform your families, it will transform the world as, as, as kids raise, are raised up to, to be on mission for Jesus. And so as we, as we end, worship team's gonna come up and I just want to pray with you. Jesus, thank you for this morning. God, I, I know that, that so much of this feels redundant to us, but Lord, I would pray that it would fall on our hearts in a new way. 
Lord, as, as, we, as we walk through the, the, the trenches of life, as we walk through the hard, difficult seasons where we feel like we have no clue what we're doing, Lord, I would pray that we would remember not to lean on our own strength, but on yours. To turn to you, Lord. To seek you, to ask for wisdom, for you to fill us with what we need to get through the day. And so, Lord, I just, I just ask that each one of us, Lord, would... would would grow in our dependence for you, that we would acknowledge our need for you in every single moment. All that we have, Lord, is yours, and it belongs to you, and all of our rights of ownership are yours because you have purchased us with a great price. You are what we need, and you are what we desire, and we are under your leadership as the builder of our lives, that you are ours and what is ours is yours. Lord, thank you again for our church. Thank you again for the gift that it is to be here at this campus and to, to encourage people to seek you, Lord. We pray this in your great and awesome name. And the church said...